0: Welcome to the Documenting Climate Change podcast. My name is Chris King, I'm a documentary storyteller, and in this series of podcasts, I'm speaking to people who are actively documenting the issue of climate change in any format and on any level, whether it's the causes, the impacts, or the mitigation or adaption efforts. Hi, everyone. Wherever you are, I really hope that you're all staying healthy and well, and thank you for downloading this latest episode of the podcast. One of the key changes that needs to occur in how we communicate and document the issue of climate change is the type of stories we tell. Whether visually or otherwise, we need more human-centric stories, stories of people and of communities. So much of the visual representation of climate change over the past 30 years has been focused on the melting ice caps, starving polar bears, global political gatherings and protests all of which are very important and need to be documented and shared with the world, but without also sharing the stories of those people being directly impacted by climate change, both historically and in the present day, we perpetuate the perception that too many people have that the threat of climate change is distant, both geographically and in time. It's vital that more documentary storytellers explore and share the stories of people who are dealing with the impact of climate change now. Whether in the UK, the US, Ethiopia, Mongolia or Tuvalu, everywhere in the world there are many stories to be told of people and communities being impacted by climate change such is the nature of climate change that we don't need to look far by documenting these human local stories that people can relate to we will help more people to realize that climate change is on their doorstep and action must be taken this week's guest is one of the few people who from the outset of his exploration of climate change took a human centric approach whether documenting the impact of rising sea levels on coastal communities or desertification and drought. He's Sean Gallagher, a British photographer and filmmaker who has lived in China the past 15 years, and during that time has explored a broad diversity of stories on the front line of the climate crisis in China and the wider Asian region. I'll let Sean introduce himself and the work he's been doing, but just to let you know that the interview is in two parts, as we talked for longer than expected, and I want to share it all with you. The second part will be published next week, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on hearing more about Sean's experiences and advice. If you're documenting the issue of climate change in any way and in any format and would like to have your work featured on Instagram, the weekly newsletter, or on this podcast, then please get in touch with me via email at chris at Thanks for listening, and here is the first part of my interview with Sean Gallagher. But yeah thank you again thank you again for uh, agreeing to to chat with me um no it's a pleasure thank you for
1: inviting me to to be on the podcast
0: no worries pleasure um and if you wouldn't mind just starting off by introducing yourself and the work you've done on the issue of climate change
1: well sure uh i've been based in asia for around 15 years now i'm originally from the uk I studied zoology at university at Newcastle. And uh, after I graduated, I started to transition into photography. I uh, managed to uh, find myself on a photography internship at a photojournalism agency in London after university. And that was really the beginning of my photography career. And it really inspired me to get into photojournalism specifically. And at the end of that internship, I received a grant which allowed us to cover travel expenses to essentially to begin our career. And I decided to travel to China. And that was for the first time in in 2005. And then I moved here permanently in, in 2006. And very quickly, I started to look for environmental issues to work on because that was really my natural interest, having studied zoology at university. I had a, an interest in, in the environmental issues, in issues related to biodiversity anyway. So I started to seek out those type of stories purely because they interested me the most. At that point, at the beginning of my career, I started to pick up lots of different uh, assignments, started to pick up work for some of the major European and North American uh, editorial publications, doing those general assignments, but then also doing my own work focused on environmental issues, specifically really focused on the climate crisis and issues surrounding biodiversity loss. So from my base in Beijing, I started to work on different stories within China. And then over the years, I really started to expand that across the Asia Pacific region and... Since then, for the past 15 years, I've been working on small individual stories um, that look at these two main issues of climate change and and biodiversity loss and seeing how that's affecting different communities across the continent.
0: And and what's influenced, um, obviously, your interests and and your academic background in in zoology would have Uh, informed your decisions as to which projects but within biodiversity and and and, uh, climate change what guided your choice of stories within China and then the region?
1: It was pure curiosity uh, for myself really that's where most of my stories come from Um, it's really a you know this inquisitiveness that most uh, photographers and, and journalists have about learning about the world and what is happening in whichever corner of the world they find themselves in. And my first story that I I wanted to cover when I I came to China was looking at desertification. Uh, I'd actually read about it, um, read about the issue for for really the first time. Um, During my internship in London, I remember reading a book that looked at environmental challenges in, in China. And I remember reading a chapter about desertification and this was on on the uh, tube in london where i was going back and forth to my internship just in my mind i could see clearly images of towns and villages being engulfed by by sand dunes by sandstorms enveloping these uh, remote towns and villages so when i did manage to get to china i knew that that was the first a story that I wanted to work on purely because I'd been inspired by a book that I'd been, I'd been reading. So that's the typical way that I might find a story idea. It's, it's normally through other other sources, maybe a book I've been reading or a film I've seen recently. And then that makes me think, OK, how can I go out and use my way of looking at the world and, and represent that in my photography?
0: And once you've, you, once you've found that, um, that subject matter that's piqued your curiosity, how, how do you then gain access to the communities or to the area and, and explore it um, in any sort of depth?
1: Well, in that story in particular, in the case of the desertification story, um, that was really at the very beginning. Of my career. So I hadn't really had any major publications. I really hadn't done any significant stories at that point. So it was really a case of um, finding what I thought was going to be one particular community that would visually represent. Uh, the story, because obviously desertification is a, a huge story, uh, or a huge issue. And there are many different ways that you can approach that issue. There are many different facets to the story about how it's occurring, why it's occurring, who is being affected. So what I try to do, and this is approach I use with a lot of my stories, is try to pinpoint one community that is being affected and then focus in on that community. So for that project I found one community in the far west of China uh, that I'd been reading about and I thought you know visually that could be a really potentially uh, interesting angle to the story and so without any assignment I didn't have anybody interested in the work I really just wanted to do it for my own curiosity for myself to go and just work on this issue that I'd been thinking so much about. And so I just booked a plane ticket from Beijing to the west of China and spent a week in a place called Dunhuang, which is in Gansu province, which is in in the far west of China, just photographing this one town and how it represented that particular aspect of the issue of desertification. And then once I'd finished that, project I came back I edited the work and then there was a um like a a a grant opportunity that came up just at about that time while I was doing it so I uh, I thought well I have this portfolio of work that I've just shot for myself why don't I just apply for this grant I wrote a little accompanying text to go with it to explain the relevance of the story the relevance of the issue and then I was lucky enough to get that grant which gave me the extra funding so that I could go back to that region and go even further in depth into the story. So it really started just out of my curiosity because I wanted to do that story for myself. But then I was able to really expand it and go much, much deeper by getting the, the grant uh, funding. And so after that, that actually turned into a whole uh, six week project, which I managed to, to turn into traveling from one side of China uh, from Beijing in the east all the way to Xinjiang province, which is in the west of China. And I did that over land, traveling by train and, and bus and stopping off along the way at different communities. I pinpointed about five or six different communities that I thought represented really interesting different parts of the, the bigger issue of desertification. And I'd spend a week in each place doing a little mini story and then bringing them all together at the end to present this broader story of the complete issue. So that's a, quite a typical way in which I work, really, looking at small stories that represent the the bigger picture.
0: And would you say then that funding and awards, like it, you've self-financed that initial exploration um, and then you sought out funding and then you were successful, Um do you think the funding and awards that you have been receiving have been pivotal in terms of your ability to explore um, these subjects in greater depth? Or, you know, Would you have done it without that funding and self-financed it or would you have just explored other things? What do you think the role of funding and awards has been and, and the importance and significance in terms of your practice and your, your exploration of these stories?
1: Well I think Getting funding for a project that you want to work on is um, it's the main challenge for every um, photographer out there or filmmaker uh, or or, or writer, especially if you're working freelance like I am. I mean, it's a lot of these stories that I work on require a lot of time and travel, of course. So there are a lot of um, just plain logistical costs that you need to cover just in in making these happen so you've got to be really quite inventive as a as a freelancer in trying to find ways in which you can you're, you can fund your projects and you know that can that can happen in a, a variety of ways uh, you can obviously you can self fund your projects which isn't a great long term plan i mean from time to time i might kind of I think of it as investing in myself or sometimes like taking a gamble a personal gamble on a story that I think is going to be really interesting but I can't find any funding to make it happen but I I just feel so drawn to the story that I just really want to I just really want to cover it so occasionally not very often I will like invest in myself to make that project happen and then worry about trying to sell it later or trying to find a distributor for that project later Um, but ideally of course you want some form of funding up front and some kind of support up front and for me over the years i've uh, tried to develop relationships with um, funding bodies who give out grants to photographers and filmmakers so that i can get that funding up front before I even go into the, the field. Um, I've been lucky enough that I've been supported by an organization called the Pulitzer Center uh, for many years. We've been working together on projects for over 10 years now. Um, they're an American NGO who are based out of Washington, D.C., and and they specifically provide funding to independent Uh, photographers and freelance uh, filmmakers to help get stories uh, funded, especially stories that they feel are being underreported or unrepresented in the mainstream media. And obviously, many different types of environmental issues, especially those connected to climate change over the past 10 years, are very much those kind of stories that haven't been represented very much in the mainstream media. Obviously, more and more so in recent years, which is really great to see. But when I was starting out around 15 years ago, there really wasn't much dialogue about some of these types of stories. So finding an organization that I could work with on a regular basis who could help me cover those logistical costs and then i would then have to deliver by getting the making sure that those stories were getting published in the mainstream media that was the that's the relationship um that was really really important and that's formed really a core of what my work has been over the past 15 years and with that support and building on that type of work that i've been doing over those years my my identity almost as a as a photographer and filmmaker, is really around covering environmental issues. So now I'm able to pitch many of these ideas to mainstream publications in Europe and the West and then get some of that support and funding up front for projects that I have ideas for. So it's become much easier as time has gone on to get support for projects. Although, you know, still I still struggle... Um, quite often to get funding and support for projects. So you have to be really flexible. For one project, the the type of funding model that you, that you got for your, the project that you did previously may not work for that next project. So you've always got to try to be very creative about how you get that funding, be open to different funding bodies who might be able to fund your project, not be afraid to, you know, take a risk on yourself and going out if it's if it's possible to to do that work on that story and and try and make it happen so there are there are lots of different avenues to to make projects happen uh but it's it's never easy and you still have to you know keep an open mind how you might make a project happen but if you really want to make it happen you have to just keep working away and exploring uh the avenues that might be able to help you get it made
0: so you're saying that a lot of your work is um pitched or or sold to western media outlets but is there any appetite for it in the asia region and in terms of um you know having local stories and and having them exposed to a local audience or is it just um being picked up by by the western outlets
1: I have had quite a few stories um, published in media outlets in Asia, but a lot of it tends to be really, they tend to be very interested in a a foreigner's perspective on the issue that is happening here in Asia. So I get a lot of interest from Chinese publications who are quite interested in the foreigner's kind of viewpoint on what's happening here in China. Um and i mean that's that's one way of viewing it but i have found that my approach has been really just from from my perspective i'm trying not to look at it an issue like climate change in terms of a foreigner looking at what's happening in china because you know these these issues really aren't specifically about me or about the the you know whether it's a local photographer covering that issue, and it's hard to get past that with some of the publications here in Asia that I've I've tried to deal with with the story, trying to get them to look at just look at the issue. Don't don't concentrate on the fact that it's a, it's a foreigner who's come here to have a look at, at what's happening, and you know I do try as much as possible to you know focus in on individual stories. While I'm here working in Asia, I focus in on, on families, on communities, and, and really trying to tell their, their stories. But, you know, it's really also important that storytellers here in Asia are also reporting on, on those stories. So, you know, my, my viewpoint is just one viewpoint looking at these, these issues in Asia.
0: And is, is there much uh, coverage of the issue of climate change in, in China? Do you see much um, beyond your own work being put in, in mainstream publications?
1: Yes, there are a lot of you know, very talented um, photographers and filmmakers here in Asia um, who are covering lots of different issues, in, including uh, those around climate change. The media landscape here in Asia is quite different to the West, Uh, So I think a lot of local uh, photographers and filmmakers and journalists struggle to get stories out that they really want to tell. Um, There are a lot of different challenges that uh, people face here in China and also in other countries in Asia. So that's that's one challenge. But in terms of the the general acceptedness of the reality of climate change and whether it's whether it's real or accepted, which is can be still a debate in in some parts of the world. It's on the whole here in China, uh, the average person recognizes that it's an issue. It's real, uh, that uh, it's affecting people uh, today. Um, So it is an issue that is talked about. Perhaps it's not connected enough to people's daily lives, which is probably the main challenge at the moment, is, is getting it to become not this big abstract issue that only the government is able to deal with. Uh, but it's it could be a, an issue that local people can, you know, take their own action to make changes to their lifestyle, for example. I think stories like that, which help people here in Asia connect their you know, daily lives to this bigger issue. I think there's still a lot of potential for um, storytellers, whether they're local storytellers or, you know, photographers and filmmakers coming in from abroad to help people make that that connection more, because that's obviously something that we're starting to grapple with.
0: Yeah, and I definitely think it's, it's the same here in terms of really bringing it to people's doorstep and, and nurturing an appreciation that climate change... It's a global issue, but it's impacting everybody um, at the moment. You know, on, on differing levels, obviously, and it tends to be those who contributed least are being impacted by it most. But, but that uh, we're all being affected by it on some level. Um, here, in in the kind of physical sense, it would be coastal erosion and flooding. But then also more discreetly, it's it's about the price of food and access to you know certain certain things like coffee and uh, chocolate, and and those things that are being impacted by climate change because here we're we're very dependent on imports, and then obviously that that means that uh, in terms of food security that's it's a very risky thing to uh, to be reliant on and climate change becomes a significant factor. Um, obviously, you know the current situation with COVID nineteen just takes it to a whole new level, but but I suppose that's just. Um, representative of what lies ahead if we don't start engaging with the subject more comprehensively. So, in terms of the challenges that you've faced then to document these stories, you've mentioned obviously funding is a universal <laughs> issue always, but but beyond that, what other challenges have you faced and, and have there been any particular challenges around you um, being a foreigner?
1: well you know there are lots of different challenges really with being um, you know not from asia and trying to accurately represent what is happening here of course you know even though i've i've lived here for a long time i'm still learning about the continents uh, i've lived in in china for a long time and china's been my specialty for a long time but i've also covered you know many other countries in asia so it's the challenge of really trying to fairly and accurately Uh, understand and cover the stories in the in the right way I think is is one big challenge and I think the longer I've spent here in Asia the more I've started to understand the continent in itself and many of the other individual countries and how they the dynamics of how the countries uh, play off one another in terms of the environmental challenges, but also in terms of social issues and, and political issues. So, but but I knew that when I came here, I knew that that would be a challenge for me. And I think it's obviously a never-ending challenge to keep on top of because Asia is such a, a dynamic place and is it is changing so fast, especially China. That there's, you can always challenge yourself to try to stay on top of what what is happening here, but. You know, working on these type of stories there's always kind of emotional side really when you invest yourself into a story and if you're investing yourself into people's lives and, and people's stories, there's that, you know, emotional investment that you make in stories. And often in some of the stories that I have worked on over the years, you know, I, I'm looking for stories that really have emotional impact, um, because Obviously issues like climate change and pollution and biodiversity loss, these are these can be quite big abstract issues. But what the power of photography and, and filmmaking is or has, is that you can go into people's lives and you can you only need one great character to really take you into the heart of that issue. And you know, that requires lot of emotional investment sometimes
0: and in in terms of then seeking out emotional impact what what guides you uh, you you mentioned like trying to find a, a particular standout character um but what else or you know can we maybe explore that a bit further with um how how do you try and um ensure that your work has maximum emotional impact
1: well, it's a, it's a little bit tricky. I, I kind of work from from the big issue first and then I, then I try to get closer and closer and closer to the individual that I'm always trying to find. And by that, I mean, before I go to a place, it's often impossible for me to identify one individual before I go there that I think is going to be good. Uh, for the story. So, for example, I worked on a story um, about the the impact of the leather tanning industry in a town called Kampur in India. And that was a project I was working on. I was traveling across uh, the breadth of India, looking at different stories connected to pollution. And I wanted to do this one story about this town on the banks of the Ganges River that I knew was being really badly affected by pollution, industrial pollution from the from the tannery uh, industry. Now, obviously I'd never been there. Um, so I decided that I'd give myself 10 days to spend in this town. And I was there with uh, a local assistant, a fixer and translator who was going to be assisting me. And for the first few days, we were just walk around go to areas that we found interesting start to talk to people and just really just try to get a sense of what the story was but also try to find individuals that we thought would be interesting for the story Um, for that particular story i was doing both a photo essay and a short film at the same time so i was looking for engaging characters that could be part of my short film And so the only way that I was going to find characters that I thought were going to be good in the film was to to, was to go there and to give myself time so that I could talk to people through my translator and find interesting stories that I could connect to this bigger issue of pollution in, in northern India. And so over the course of the first week, I managed to identify a few different characters uh, one or two, who I thought were going to be, you know, really strong for the story, and and then I started to spend more time with them, and and I shot aspects of their life that were connected to the story, interviewed them, uh, and then found that I got some great interviews where people were really revealing themselves to me on camera through the interviews that I did, and that was from the time that I invested in in being there. Uh, with those people and, and those people became like re- really central characters as part of that, that film. And they really revealed a lot of emotion on camera, which I was then able to connect to this bigger issue that I was, I was trying to communicate. So it was originally starting off about that, looking at that big issue of pollution in Northern India then finding one town that I wanted to focus on and then just discovering one neighborhood in that town and then finding one individual. And then once I found that individual, I then thought, ah, this is a great character who I can really connect to this bigger issue that I'm trying to communicate. So that's really the, t- the typical process that I'll go through when i'm trying to find good characters that represent the the bigger issue but it, it's always a bit of a gamble because a lot of the time you you don't know you there's no way to predict
0: what you're going to see or who you're going to meet half the time so have you always been guided by because clearly you've you've refined this process and it's very much something that you're conscious of and that you apply to your story so have you always tended to focus on human-centric stories and, and explore the human aspect. I'd say
1: 99% of my work has focused on that very thing is, is, is about making sure that these stories that I choose to cover are connected to, to people in, in, in some way. If you look at my, my, my photographs, again 99% of them are showing that relationship between humanity and nature and i i personally feel that that is the most important way that we can get people to connect with these bigger issues like i mentioned before you know an issue like climate change is this often big abstract uh, phenomenon that we struggle to, you know, put our finger on. We struggle to, to visualize. So I, th- I think it's my main aim is that I try to humanize this issue to show people how people, real people, are being affected by these issues across the world. And it doesn't matter whether it's the climate change angle or whether it's looking at um, the biodiversity loss angle. Yes, photographing uh, nature and wildlife in its purest form, in terms of like wildlife photography example, I think is incredibly valuable in helping people really value nature, in looking at the beauty of nature. But that's not my particular approach. I really want to take the approach of really making sure that people understand that we all live within a system within nature. So I might I'd rather look at an issue such as um, human elephant conflict, for example. That's a story that I did in in Sri Lanka. Now, one approach would be to take a, a wildlife photography approach and just photograph the elephants in their natural r- remaining habitat in, in Sri Lanka, for example. But I I really always I find myself in that that area where humanity and nature are kind of colliding and that's why I always find my my stories and for that story in particular I I was really trying to visualize that boundary of conflict between between the communities in Sri Lanka and the and the elephant populations which are being because of their their natural habitat is being uh, is disappearing so fast those elephants are obviously being pushed closer into contact with humans so I really wanted to look and try to find those images that really represented that, that conflict. And I just feel by even simply having a small figure, which I often do in my my images, uh, having that small representation of, of humanity in the picture is really important. It just really keeps that connection for the viewer between... Between people and the environment, because it's—I I, think—that's the idea that we've lost the most. Really, is that connection between us and and nature. And to be honest, that's what's gotten us in, into a lot of trouble. Is that idea of that that we've lost that connection as we all move into cities, we all uh, um, become you know, disconnected from nature. So I really try to keep that connection in
0: my photography. Thanks for listening to the Documenting Climate Change podcast. I hope you enjoyed the first part of my interview with Sean Gallagher. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on the second part, which I'll be publishing next week and in which Sean shares more of his experiences documenting the issue of climate change and offers advice to those wishing to start exploring the subject. The show notes for this episode, with links to all the people and organizations mentioned, can be found on the Documenting Climate Change website. Visit documentingclimatechange.org and navigate to the podcast section of the site. While you're there, if you sign up to the weekly newsletter, you'll be kept up to date with the latest releases, articles, advice on how better to communicate on the issue of climate change, as well as featured work. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast via whichever app you use and please share this episode with everyone you know and help more people see it by leaving a rating and review. Once again, if you're documenting the issue of climate change in any way and in any format and would like to have your work featured on Instagram, the weekly newsletter or featured on this podcast, then please get in touch with me via email at chris at documentingclimatechange.org. Thanks again and until next time, take care.